My ambition after that trip to the Highlands was simply to see if Tasmania could make a really good single malt whiskey. We don't expect everyone to like these wines, so yes, there's some risk. Drink more sherry, because that's when you can really educate yourself on what happens in maturation. The thing is with Australian that is you put them in a gin, the aftertaste invariably is just bitter and unpalatable. I think the Irish whiskey landscape is going to be wildly different over the next five years. This is the Drinks Adventures podcast. I'm James Atkinson, and this is the show where I speak to some of the world's most exciting producers of beer, wine and spirits, and uncover trends and issues in the drinks industry today. Well, something a little bit different for us here on Drinks Adventures. I'm joined with James Baldwin from the F1 podcast, Lakeside Drive. James, thanks for joining us on the show. Mate, it's such a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. And obviously the occasion is that this week on the show, we've had Daniel Ricardo talking about the DR3 wines. One of the things that I was a little bit disappointed about was that I was, I was told in advance by Daniel's uh, media people that, you know, there wasn't to be any questions about F1 as well, which I kind of thought to myself, well, you know, I mean, he's an F1 driver. It's, it's the reason <laughs> why, you know, I, I wouldn't be interested in talking to him if he wasn't famous because of his F1. <laughs> so, I mean, James, why do you think there was so much sensitivity around Daniel giving interviews? Because I, I've, I actually went and listened back to some of the media that he did uh, and he was very open and about sort of talking about what had been going on for him. So I, was, I would have liked to get a little bit of that perspective on what's been going on for Daniel in terms of his racing career. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's an interesting one. And I always imagine that, that the PRs who work with race teams and with Formula One drivers always err on the side of caution when it comes to podcasters or podcasts or interviews that they maybe don't know and they don't want to sort of put that position on their driver that would maybe bring up something negative or, you know, they were trying to move on, I suppose, from last year. But it's, it is a good question. Luckily, he talks about Formula One himself. Otherwise, it would be very, it's like talking to a winemaker and say, we can't talk about anything to do with being in the winery, but you exactly. can talk about the vines. <laughs> How that's not going to be bloody helpful for us at all. No. Uh, but for your listeners' point of view, if you're not a fan of Formula One, Lakeside Drive, we've been doing this podcast since 2019 and we stood it up because... Hardly anyone in the world of Formula One before Drive to Survive was talking about Daniel Ricciardo. He really was Australia's next hope for a World Drivers' Championship in the likes that we, we missed out with with Mark Webber, where 2010, really, in his time in Red Bull, he was almost champion, but he missed out. So, unfortunately, it feels like now we've missed out with Daniel. But what happened, in a nutshell, is Daniel had left Red Bull Racing at the end of 2018 under Max Verstappen being his uh, the other driver in that team, ended up being world champion now twice with that Red Bull Racing car. He went to, to Renault in 2019 and 2020, and uh, that was okay. He managed to bring Renault back to the podium for, for this Formula One team that hadn't had a podium in an exceptionally long time. And then McLaren came knocking. McLaren were right down the very back of the pack when he left Red Bull, but they'd made significant gains in that time to get closer towards the front. And so Zach Brown, the CEO, of McLaren, knocked on the door for Daniel and said, look, we'd love to offer you a seat. Offered him a uh, fairly decent paycheck to go with it. And also <laughs> with... That's uh, probably the understatement of the century. Yes, absolutely right. <laughs> uh, but now for him, he, he spent two years at McLaren in a car that uh, effectively he didn't understand. And uh, it was really hard to watch as an Australian fan where we called him last of the late breakers in Formula One, effectively meaning that he would full send into a corner and jump on the anchors at the last minute. 
being able to overtake someone who was maybe a little bit more cautious or didn't have full confidence in the car like he did in that Red Bull. And it was hard for him to then find that that safety, I suppose, in terms of what he knew the car was doing. And right from the very first time he jumped in that McLaren all the way to the end of his McLaren career at the end of last year, he was unable to really gel with the car and understand what it was doing. So McLaren made the call to terminate his contract a year early. And so for, for him, he's now back at Red Bull where it uh, effectively where his race wins started and he's the third driver, meaning he's not driving any Grands Prix this year. He's not even the reserve driver officially. He's just doing a bit of marketing for the team, a bit of sim work and taking a year off to really collect himself and find his happiness, his mojo, I suppose, to use that terminology in Formula One again to be able to sort it out. So... As you said in our chat, his schedule is a little freer now than it was uh, this time last year. He's also now able to focus on the love uh, that he has for wine. I know that for him, he's got a couple of different uh, passions. Designing clothes is one thing, Daniel Ricciardo, DR3 merchandise, and now this partnership with St. Hugo. But I understand also that he's really seeking to do his own thing, probably on a much smaller level, but his own thing in that space as well. What was your reaction when you um, heard about the St Hugo partnership? I mean, you would have followed all of Daniel's various different endorsements and sponsorships and partnerships over the years. Yeah, I mean, Formula One isn't a stranger to alcohol sponsorships. Uh, We've sort of moved from Heineken to Heineken 0.0 and Peroni 0.0. So there's now this massive push on sort of alcohol-free, but there is still a massive amount of wine floating around in Paddock Club. He mentioned on your episode too that uh, the reason why St Hugo kind of popped up for him is that at the Australian Grand Prix in the Paddock Club, one of the sponsors in that Pernod Ricard element uh, was St Hugo that was probably pouring for for guests or at least maybe some pull-up banners around there. So... I thought it was quite interesting because he had, you know, sponsors in the past like car sales and he now sort of works with Optus as well that it was a bit of a left field thing for me. He does, I think he still has some kind of involvement with a brewery in France. I mean, there's a whole bunch of Formula One drivers who have involvement in that brewery. So I'm not sure what kind of sort of day-to-day, if any, he would have over that. But from a Formula One's fan point of view, it was very interesting. I mean, I'm also a wine industry person too. So I sort of saw that and was almost a little disappointed that it wasn't one of those smaller, cooler producers that, you know, similar age to Daniel that would maybe make a big splash for them in in the industry, considering how crowded it is. And with all of the issues that the industry has been having the last couple of years with exports and, and wine coming back. But in saying all of that, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it, to, to break those international markets, like you said earlier as well, down to be able to bring an Australian brand that maybe wasn't doing all so well, revitalise it with a character like Daniel and take it to the US, to Canada, to the UK, to Hong Kong, all these English-speaking markets. Here is a ridiculous chewy decanter to go (laughs) with it. I haven't tasted the wine personally, but I know plenty of people who have spent their money on this DR3 release, on on one and two at least, and been totally stoked with it. And I think if, if that can be the case where the wine and that celebrity endorsement side sort of takes that fan involvement up to the next step rather than just cracking, you know, a bottle of Peroni or Heineken. And now, um, as I think I was telling you, Daniel was very guarded about this in, in the interview when I asked him about would he ever consider buying a vineyard. I had learnt subsequent to the interview that he actually has bought a property that does have some kind of vineyards attached to it. Can you, do you know much about that? From what I understand, as I said, I mean, Daniel is so into this next step, I suppose, after, you know, trying to set up his racing 
post-racing career. But uh, he has this huge property in Perth that I would imagine, or just outside of Perth, that I would imagine uh, it has some some space for some vines to be planted on there. And but I imagine it will be sort of smaller batch uh, for him to maybe have some some wine for himself, some friends and family too. I don't think we'd see anything on a commercial level. But what I love though is it's an exciting opportunity to see he's partnered with a brand like Saint Hugo, which if it was that on face value that would be pretty disappointing because there'd be no sort of substance to it. But the fact that there's now fruit been planted somewhere uh, on his property or somewhere else around Perth, he has, you know, some kind of investment in or something to do with. So when he does continue these partnerships, if that does in fact happen with St. Hugo, that he has a better understanding of the product, uh, the actual process that goes through and he's able to see from go to woe that whole process of what wine and, and that farming does. Now, as you've mentioned, you know, Daniel won't be driving this F1 season. You sort of suggested that you thought that um, that kind of meant that, that the dream of winning a driver's championship is over for him. Like, how much of a backward step is it for him where, where he's found himself? It's very difficult. I mean, he wouldn't have been a driver's champion this year if he'd stayed with McLaren. The, the car is just simply not good enough to, to compete for that level yeah, you kind of um, said earlier that he didn't understand the car, but you also just think that the car itself is not up to snuff. Um, no. Yeah. No, and his teammate last year in Lando Norris, who who was faster than him, still wasn't fast enough to be fighting for the championship when teams like Red Bull Racing, who are still the favourites to where we haven't even started the Formula One season this year, but they're absolutely the favourites after dominating last year. You've got teams like Mercedes who have come out of a very long time of domination in the sport. And then Ferrari, who, I mean, even if you don't follow Formula One, you know probably the name Michael Schumacher and Ferrari and that sort of legacy that that team has. Three teams who have a lot of history, a lot of money and a lot of passion for winning. So for McLaren, to really take those massive steps forward. And it, it would have to be, you know, five more steps than Red Bull made last year, which is almost impossible considering where they were in the championship. For Daniel, it really will come down to, A, whether or not he wants to drive again. And if he doesn't, that's absolutely fine. Of course, I think his happiness is probably more important than a World Drivers' Championship at this point. But B, what seats become available for next year? Because having a sabbatical from Formula One is fantastic. The only problem is you can be like Mika Hakkinen who technically still is on sabbatical from Formula One and uh, he departed in the early 2000s with McLaren and still hasn't come back again. So I think for, for Daniel, the opportunity to, to get into a race winning seat is where he probably will want to find himself because that means that there is likely a chance to have a shot at the championship. And if it doesn't happen, then it doesn't happen. I think it will be very difficult for him to slot into somewhere like Red Bull, Ferrari or Mercedes straight away next year, certainly because all of the drivers have contracts for that time. Something really special would have to happen, but we know how good luck can sort of befall Australians. And if anyone has that kind of personality to bring that good luck to it, it's Daniel Ricciardo. Fantastic, James. And you've also had on the podcast, if for those of my listeners who are interested to get into a little bit more, you've had Daniel's performance coach, haven't you, on the show? Yes, Michael Italiano, twice now. In fact, uh, the the next chat that uh, I will be having is uh, is coming out this week. We'll be coming out a little later this week. So we'll give some air for Daniel's chat 
with you first. And then if you're interested in listening to his trainer, Michael Italiano, his performance coach, uh, that'll be later this week. But certainly we, we spoke to him in 2021. He was only a couple of months into that time with McLaren, with Daniel. And so it, it'll be interesting, I think, to catch up with him and, and how he saw everything happen with Daniel. Of course, uh, there's plenty of people in the media who had said Daniel Ricciardo was washed and that he wasn't fast enough. And uh, I think that that's one thing to say from the outside looking in, but it'll be interesting to, to know what it's like being in that sort of inner sanctum uh, of those trusted advisors around Daniel. But Michael Italiano, I mean, with the, with the last name like Italiano, also loves wine in the same way. I think he's one of those friends with Daniel who will go out and really encourage people to uh, to taste new things and certainly different varietals from around the world. And, and I would imagine that he was probably one of the leading influences in Daniel's uh, drinking life around the world, of course, in a healthy way. So I, I don't imagine there would be many bottles consumed over a race weekend, but certainly maybe <laughs> after a race that, uh, you know, maybe a Chateauneuf de Pape or something that would find its way into the cool down room is something to sort of drink. But yeah, for, for people who are interested in what Formula One is, it's, it's so much more than cars going around a track. There is so much drama, of course, behind the scenes, but there's so much information, people, everyone working, not only with individual drivers like Daniel Ricciardo, but with teams. I mean, teams like Mercedes have a thousand people working in them with uh, aerodynamicists who could be working at NASA or working at teams like Mercedes. So it is incredibly interesting, the world of Formula One and, and Drive to Survive, of course, on Netflix is a brilliant place to start if you're not that interested yet, just to see the drama off track. And there's plenty of content to talk about on track too. Brilliant, James. Well, thanks heaps for, you know, joining us to have a chat about all of the other stuff around the Daniel Ricciardo story at the moment that we couldn't get into uh, with the man himself. And uh, listeners, if you're interested to also hear me speak to James on the Lakeside Drive podcast, go ahead and subscribe and follow Lakeside Drive in all the usual places. Thanks so much.